0: God chose the mother when I was dead since God showed the die womb pipe eight. God chose the mother when I was dead since God showed the die womb pipe eight. God chose the mother, chose the lover. God chose the mother, chose the lover. God chose the mother, God chose the when I was nothing. God chose to die for me. Room five eight. God chose the mother when I was nothing. God chose to die for me. Room five eight. God chose the mother. Chosen mother. God chose the mother. Chosen mother. God chose the mother. Room five. Eight.
1: Well, this morning we're talking about the fact that Jesus is light. We've talked about how he's power, he's wisdom, he's righteousness, um, he's life. And today in episode number five of Jesus is, we're talking about the fact that Jesus is light. Jesus is light. He's light, life, wisdom, power, righteousness. There's a lot of other things that he is that we'll tackle, you know, as the weeks come. But today we're talking about the fact that in the ancient culture um, of Israel, when you thought about light... You didn't have electricity, you had the sun and you had fire when, so when you'd think of fire, uh, naturally what would come to mind or when, when you think of light rather, naturally what would come to mind would be fire and so this is why you'll see God uh, quite frequently appear with fire you know he'll appear in lightnings and rumblings he'll, he'll appear with uh, a cloud, he'll descend with fire. so fire is um, a very strong I guess physical manifestation of the presence of God. That's one of the kind of characteristics of God coming into the world uh, among his people is that you'll see fire. On Mount Sinai, uh, when Moses is talking to God in in the burning bush, um, which is on Mount Sinai, when we see God um, fill the tabernacle, right? They have the lampstands. You have, um, which, you know, fire. You have God descend in glory. Um, You have in Exodus chapter 40, verse 38, you'll see that um, he actually descends in fire and the cloud. Um, At the tabernacle so when he would direct the people of Israel to leave and go out right that cloud or that fire would lift And when he'd tell them hey park it here This is where we're setting up camp right that cloud that fire would come back on the tabernacle Um, And then when Solomon erects the temple and it's all built it's all finished God fills it with his glory and so um, As we talk about the fact that Jesus is light um, Remember this that God refers to himself as an all-consuming fire which is, which is you know characteristic of light. Light emanates from fire, right? Light is the radiance of a flame. So um, as we go through the Old Testament, we're gonna build a picture of what light looks like in the Old Testament. We're not gonna spend too much time. And then we're gonna look at the fact that Jesus is, all of those different characteristics of light in the Old Testament point to Christ. And then we'll tackle the applicational side of things, which is how does this change the way we live? How do we practically you know implement this in our life? Okay, so um, that's where we're going. As we look at the concept of light in scripture, you're going to see that light can often refer to insight and understanding, like a sense of clarity, uh, wisdom, uh, uh, understanding of God in scriptures. You can see light as uh, clarity and direction, right? Where there's, where there's a sense of uh, clear instruction or directing on the part of God and, and leading people. You'll see uh, light referred to the majesty and the glory of God, that radiant majesty of God expressed in light. You'll see light related to fire. That's why God will say he's an all-consuming fire. He'll appear in fire, tabernacle, Mount Sinai, uh, burning bush, all those different scenarios. Um, And then light will actually be compared to life. And so we'll get there. I'm just kind of giving you a roadmap of where you can expect to go today. And hopefully at the end of this, you'll understand what it looks like to live in the light. Because there's very practical implications of this. How do we live in the light? I think that's what a lot of people are wondering. How do, I, how do I have a sense of clarity and direction in my life? How do I grow in an insight and understanding? How do I behold the glory of God daily and walk in the light instead of fall back in the darkness? What does that look like to effectively live the most light-filled life? Like, what does it look like to live abundantly in the light of Christ himself? And so first got to go to John 8, 12, where uh, Jesus will say very clearly, I am the light of the world. He puts the word, the. <laughs> I am the light. Not a light, not another light, not one of the many lights. He is the exclusive light of the world. What does that mean? Well, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, the kind of light and darkness in mind here is a spiritual kind, not just a physical kind where, I don't know where I'm gone. I'm bumping into everything he's talking about a spiritual light, a spiritual darkness. You're either in the light of God, right? You're either out of the spiritual darkness or you're enslaved to that darkness of sin and death and you're held captive by the enemy in spiritual darkness. That's why Colossians will say we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so Jesus being the light of the world is what effectively helps us come out of darkness. We have to follow him because he is the light. So Go to Psalm chapter 27, verse 1. We're going to start to build uh, this mosaic of what light is in Scripture. And you'll start to see Jesus painted a little clearly in this. And hopefully that, you know, as we go through the series Jesus Is, the, the whole point of this is that you would love Jesus more. That you would see him clearly. That you'd understand his character better. Because everyone is living out their theology. Everyone is living out their worldview and their view of God. And so if, you're, if your view of God is off, so will your life be. But if you get your view of God accurately pinpointed, you know, on the scriptures, and you have a clear view of who he is, not to say we can know him perfectly, but as you understand him better, and as you see him more accurately, your life starts to match up with that. And you start to live uh, the kind of life he's called you to, because we live out our view of Jesus. So hopefully this just gives you um, the correct theology of who he is. And it magnifies his name for you. So Psalm chapter 27 verse 1. Um, the psalmist says, David, the Lord is my light. That's why it's kind of troubling you know, for a Jew to hear Jesus in John 8 say, I'm the light of the world. Because they're thinking, mm, actually, you said you're the light. Not an expression of it. Not a, not me, not one among many. You said you're the light of the world. Hold on. Psalm 27 1 is one of the scriptures that probably came to mind for them when they hear Jesus say that. Because the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation, David says. Whom shall I fear? And so the question becomes, as with most of these different episodes in the series, is it God or is it Jesus? And you gotta come to terms with the fact that is who Jesus proclaims to be and who he's revealed as in the scriptures and through the eyewitness testimony of the apostles, He is the eternal word emanating from the Father. He is the one who is God, yet alongside God, and as, you know, communicated in John's Gospel. He's the one who's always been alongside the Father, yet God himself, distinct from God, yet God at the same time. He is the perfect expression of the nature and character and heart of God, which isn't to limit him to just a human being created. Jesus is uncreated, as we see in Scripture. He's timeless. He actually pre-exists time itself and is there with God in all eternity as if to be uh, in eternity with God for from the very beginning. So the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. Who shall I fear? So for God to be our light and salvation has to do with having no reason to fear. Because when you're in the dark, it's scary. I don't care who you are. If you're in the dark long enough or if you're in the kind of environment that is Uh, really terrifying to be in when it's dark. Uh, Fear starts to creep up in every person, depending on the scenario. Darkness can really grip a heart. And so the psalmist is saying, regardless of where I find myself, he is my light. Who shall I be afraid of? No one. He's the light that shines in the darkness. The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? So God here is communicated as protector, defender, the one who ensures our life and secures us. Right? And preserves us. He's our light. He's the light around us to give us clarity and direction. And a sense of confidence and assurance. Right. He's our salvation. So I am good because of him. And I have light because he is my light. Who? What should I be afraid of? Okay. So we see that Jesus claims to be the light of the world. Yeah. God is the light. Um, and not a, not another, not one among many. So the light of the sun is a, is a direct Uh, revelation of the light of the Father. He says, when you look at me, you see the Father. Now I'll take you to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, where God says, let there be light. Let there be light. And guess what? Good morning, Christina. I see you. There was light. And you know what? God saw the light was good. God saw the light was good. And guess what God does with the light that he brings into creation? This is God separating and dividing the light from the darkness. He separates. He makes a clear delineation between darkness and light. God calls the light day. And he calls the darkness night. There was evening and morning the first day. Okay, so in the very beginning of the origin story of our existence... When God is dividing and structuring and setting the boundaries of the universe, one of the things he separates is light from darkness. Now, there are many different views on what's actually taking place here. Some would say this is a war in heaven. Some would say this is God distinguishing between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And This is after the big rebellion of the enemy and, and Satan and he fell and you know the Satan. This, all this is taking place. Some would say, no, this is just literally God bringing light into the chaotic the waters of, of of the earth at that point, and he's shining that light in to bring um, what will ultimately be a, a factor in the life and the and the breath of creatures on planet Earth. You know, this is God structuring and just just practically putting light in place to measure the day, and people can see. And there's the because remember, light is connected to life. Light is connected. You can't really have life in the darkness, um, at least not sustainably, not long term. Okay, maybe like for a while but light can't happen in the darkness. That's why God calls us out of the darkness, because in the darkness, there's nothing but death and destruction and confusion and despair and frustration and hopelessness, right? And that's where some of you guys are today. That's why I'm telling you what I'm telling you is because there is light. And it's not at the end of the tunnel, it's right here in front of us and it's Jesus. It's not something we're hoping for, it's that he's come. And there's a lot that he's going to do in the future. But you can have the light of Christ now in your life so you're not walking around confused and frustrated. So you're not walking around aimlessly without a sense of direction. I don't know what my purpose is. I change my major every single year. You can have a sense of light in your life and clarity and assurance and confidence that comes from knowing God. Okay, so we'll, we're starting this in Genesis with light. We'll end in Revelation, okay? And we'll see how Jesus fits into all of this. But for now, no, God created or speaks light into uh, the world by separating it from darkness in the creation narrative. Exodus chapter three, um, well, we see the account of God appearing to Moses. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, right? So Moses is a shepherd for 40 years after running away from Egypt because my boy killed an Egyptian. (laughs) You'd run too. Because Pharaoh's on to you. So Pharaoh essentially chases Moses out. Now he's um, come under, well, he's married to the daughter of Jethro, who's the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So here we have Sinai. Uh, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire. Now you go, the angel of the Lord did that. Just keep reading. The angel of the Lord appears, this is a visible manifestation that you see with your eyes, in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Moses looked and, well, the bush is burning, but it's not consumed. So Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why? The bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him. Out of what? Out of the bush. I thought the angel of the Lord appeared in that flame of fire of the bush. Well, God is calling out from that. Go make sense of that with your theology later. The point is, God is in the midst of the fiery bush that is not consumed. And he goes, Moses, Moses. And Moses goes, here I am. And he said, do not come near. This is a warning. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you're standing is holy ground. So here we have, you know, obviously Adam and Eve exiled from the garden. We're like, oh no, will we ever get back to the garden presence of God? Well, we're starting to get uh, some kind of hope that, yeah, maybe it's happening right here. This is God starting to bring his garden presence to the world by starting with the nation of Israel and Moses. So here we have a bush. That's a good start. It's on fire. It's usually a sign of God's presence. It's not consumed. Uh, Fire can be a sign of God's judgment. Fire can be a sign of God's spirit. Fire can be a sign of just God's, uh, well, God's very presence in his spirit. But here he, he's in the bush talking to, God, talking to Moses. And he gives Moses instruction on what to do. And he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. If this was merely the angel of the Lord in the midst of the bush and the fire was just representative of the angel of the Lord, Moses would have no reason to fear looking at God. Either Moses is wrong, and it's like, Moses, it's okay, that's not God you're looking at. You can look at the bush. Either he's wrong, or he's right. And the theology Moses has about the God of Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham is that, hey, I can't behold God. So he's afraid to look at God. How else could you see God unless there was a visible way to actually you know, experience God through your senses. So Moses is choosing not to, seems like. Look at God, which seems to be the fire that's emanating from the bush. I'm just trying to show you that God appears in fire, and that is going to be very important because, remember, fire is connected to the light. So we have the sun, a big ball of fire, essentially, giving light to the world. That's what God has determined. He's put the sun up there so we can have life, so we can have clarity and sight and direction. We can see there's light because of the sun. Now, there's going to be many versions of that, whether we see it in the burning bush, whether we see it in the tabernacle or the temple or the menorah and the lampstands. Exodus chapter 10, verse 23. Um, God, Remember how God dis- distinguishes between light and darkness? Okay, in Genesis chapter 1. Um, a Very similar things about to happen here in Exodus. So when God brings the signs upon Egypt, right, when God brings uh, the the plagues of judgment upon Egypt um, and Pharaoh, he's going to delineate and separate his people from Egypt. He's going to make a clear distinction uh, throughout most of these signs, not all of them, but some of them. For instance, right here, um, there's going to be a big darkness that comes upon the land of Egypt for three days. So there's that three day kind of idea that we see Jesus fulfill with his resurrection. For three days, there's darkness in Egypt. They couldn't see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. Look at the difference with Israel. But all the people of Israel had light. They had a light where they lived. So how does God make it very clear? I am, Israel's my people. Well, darkness is upon Egypt. They can't see. They can't even go anywhere. It literally says they can't rise from their place. It's that dark all the time for three days. Israel, on the other hand, they have light. Now, we already established that Jesus is the light of the world. God says he is the light of his people, or David will say, the Lord is my light. And so, yes, this is about having like physical light, physical sight, but it's mainly to communicate the point that God, indeed, is their light. He's that for sure the source of whatever light they're experiencing is God. So we can say that God is the light of his people. Okay. He is the radiance of his people. He's, he's, he's the one who gives us a direction and sight and clarity. He's the one who gives us a sense of purpose and meaning in life. Right? So Exodus thirteen twenty three chapters later, we're going to see something happen. There's going to be another dis- distinction between Israel and Egypt. This time, the uh, the Egyptian chariots and armies are chasing Israel, trying to hunt them down. Okay, But the Lord goes before the people of Israel in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. Okay, By night, guess how God manifests himself in terms of leading his people? Well, he actually leads them by a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. It says the Lord went before them in those things. Now I've heard some say, well, God is in those things. He is not those things. I'm not um, restricting God to one idea and saying he's a pillar of fire or he's only a pillar of cloud, right? This is not a restrictive statement. Um, All I'm saying is here, God being in the pillar of cloud or in the pillar of fire is similar to him being in the burning bush right? He is not necessarily that thing he's manifesting as, but that is to be a sign of his presence. So the pillar of fire a sign of his presence leading his people. Okay. And then we'll see that pillar of fire stand between the Egyptian armies and Israel as, as Israel's going through the red sea, God is, uh, protecting his people through the pillar of fire at night by standing in between Israel and the Egyptian armies. Okay, so then you go to Exodus chapter 25, verse 37. And I know there's a lot of fire going on here, but remember, fire gives off light. And so when you think of light in the ancient culture, you would you would think fire. Or at least the the celestial body has got us put in place in in the solar system, the sun, the moon, the stars. Potentially spiritual beings. Exodus 25, 37. Okay? This is God giving instruction to Moses on the tabernacle. And I know this is boring for some people, but when you really start to, if you hear Jesus say, I am the light of the world, and you hear that statement through the filter of your 2022 perception of the world and cosmology, you're going to miss out on a lot of intended meaning. You will. There's a lot that he's saying that you'll miss if you don't understand what it means for God to be the light of his people in the Old Testament. And so we see God being the light of his people in terms of directing them and guiding them, um, protecting them, right? That's why got, David will say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. He pairs those two ideas together. As if, to say, as if to say, God being our light is him being our salvation, right? So God, you know, separates the light from the darkness. Um, he gives light to his people so they can function while the rest of Egypt is in darkness. Um, God speaks the light into existence in genesis or at least separates that light from the darkness um so i think it's psalm 104 is next but right here uh god gives instruction to moses uh talks about the uh the lampstand and the branches that go out from the lampstand that will be in the holy place not the most holy place but the holy place um and he talks about what they'll be made of and what they'll look like. Make seven lamps for it. And the lamps shall be set up as to what? Give light. Give light on the space in front of it. So the point of the lampstand being in the holy place is that the priesthood could do their work. Because they have light. That was always to be representative of the fact that Israel can do what God says and not worry about everything else going on around them because God is their light. Now, of course, Israel fails to do that. And of course, the Levites and the Levitical priesthood are a subcategory within Israel. So they're doing the priesthood service unto God so that God or Israel can have God dwell among them in the tabernacle. So they're doing their priestly duty that requires light. And that is a physical, literal thing that God gave in the form of this lampstand to give light on the space in front of it, so that they could do their stuff. Um, absolutely. Now I'm wondering if this lampstand is actually the one in the um, the most holy place. Actually, let me read mean, You shall eat the bread of the presence. Make a lampstand of pure gold, hammered work, six branches. If I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe this is um, the holy place lampstand either way <laughs> even if it is the most holy place the light if there's a lampstand in the most holy place which i don't remember off the top of my head someone will tell me in the comments but even if there is a lampstand in the most holy place that allows the high priest to do his service on the day of atonement um so no, no matter what the light is to provide uh, the, the lampstand rather and the fire is to provide light so that on the space in front of it, so that work can be done, so that things can be seen. Uh, like Richard says here in the comments, he has a shadow of the things to come. So you should think, hmm, I think Jesus is really hinting at this when he says, I'm the light of the world. Not only this, but when he says, I am the light of the world, all these different images come into mind for an ancient Israelite hearing this. And if you don't have all of this kind of backlog, backlog for yourself, when you hear Jesus say, "I'm the light of the world," then you just go, "Oh, he's just the sun. <laughs> he's just the sun for me," or he's like electricity. Well, they have electricity. It doesn't mean the analogy can't carry into our modern, uh, you know, 21st century technology. It doesn't mean we can't find a parallel between. Ele- the point is, God is working with their concept of light to make sense of His character and how He works in the world. So Psalm 104. Uh, I don't think it was David. It's a psalmist. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. Okay, splendor and majesty is what God is clothed in. Covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. So, light is um, in this imagery. This is a metaphor, of course, that God is covered in light. Um, How literally he's covered in light, I don't know. He dwells in unapproachable light. He is light himself. So uh, how much of that parallels to our understanding of light, I'm not entirely sure. But the psalmist is on to something, man. I think the point is, the splendor and majesty of god what you might call his glory the radiance of his goodness uh that can be compared to light that is the light of god so when god shines his light the, the the light of his face or the favor of his countenance or we can walk in the light of his presence it's it's the glory of god it's his majesty and splendor and the unspeakable qualities of his his goodness and and eternal character all of those things you can say, "Are are his light? He's covered in it, like a garment." Uh, that's the idea here, stretching out the heavens like a tent. So when you think of God, he's uh, he's not all. He is light for sure. But I mean, you can even go uh, get a little more detail and go. It's like he's it's like he's covered in this garment of radiance and majesty that's just you know radiating out of him as light, and it. Maybe that's why he dwells in unapproachable light. Psalm 119 verse 105, now we get to the word. This is what David says. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So we've seen that God is the light of his people. We see that God gives light to his people, um, the light of his presence, the light of him uh, filling the tabernacle. The light of, well, the light of the world that he separates from the darkness in Genesis chapter 2 or 1. We've seen that, you know, God is covered in light. And then the light that he has, he's, he's almost like giving in the tabernacle in the lampstand so that the priesthood can do their stuff. And now we see that light is connected to the word of God. Light is connected to the word of God. Uh, the word of God provides light so that we can know where we're going. So that we can know where we're stepping. We can know what to avoid. Uh, the word of God shines on our hearts to reveal those things that we should really get rid of and stop doing. The, the, the light of God's word actually provides a direction. And so that we can have uh, uh, confidence for the next step we take. It provides ground for our footing, right? There's, there's a sense of I'm stepping out on something that I'm confident in. And the word of God provides that as, he, as God tells us what to do through his word. There's a light that comes with the word of God. That's why it makes absolute sense that for Jesus to be the light of the world must also mean he's the living, emanating word from the Father. Um, And then you skip down to verse 130. Uh, The unfolding of your word gives light, gives light, it imparts understanding to the simple. So now this is not just, don't think of like physical light where you carry a flashlight around in the dark and it's, you know, helping you navigate the darkness. But here, the light is actually understanding and insight. So the the word of God, as God reveals himself through his word, he's giving you the light of his revelation. He's giving you the light of understanding and insight to those who are simple, to those who want to grow in wisdom and want to know God. He gives the light of his word. And the light here is more spiritual in a sense, where I it's almost like... um. If, if my mind or my heart is a dark room, it's being lit up by the word of God. So I can see those areas that need to be corrected and adjusted. So I can see my misunderstandings of God. So I can see him rightly and make the appropriate adjustments in my life. God's word gives spiritual light. And then Isaiah chapter 2, there's an invitation. There's an invitation. House of Jacob, Come. Let's walk in the light of the Lord. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And by this time in the prophets, this idea has developed over history uh, for the people of Israel, so much so that when they hear that invitation, all these different images come to mind. The word of God is a lamp. He's covered in light. He is light. He separates light from the darkness. He's my light and salvation, right? He's, he distinguished between Israel and Egypt by giving Israel light. And then he gave them the light and the pillar of fire. And, and when he came on the tabernacle, and when he filled that, and, and he would you know, make it clear when he was telling Israel to park it and when he was telling them to leave with the fire of his presence, the glory of his presence. Or on, the, on Mount Sinai, right? When, when he actually falls on the mountain, comes on the mountain in a pillar of smoke and fire and thunder and lightning. And there's a cloud. All those different you know, kind of images come together on Mount Sinai. And so on Mount Sinai, we have also another uh, example of God, you know, coming or his presence being marked by fire. And so when you hear, let's walk in the light of the Lord, you're thinking all this, man. You think the God of creation who separated light from darkness, who is light for his people, he's inviting us to walk in that light? Yeah, he is. And the way you walk in that light is to let his word guide your life. Otherwise, how else do you know whether or not you're walking in the light of Jesus? Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 through 3, it says, Arise, shine, your light has come, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So here, speaking to Israel and the future glory that they can expect, The light is actually the glory of God, the radiance of his goodness, his majesty and his beauty, the unspeakable attributes of God that you can't really articulate and you can't even fathom, the glory of God, that visible representation of those things that you can't even understand of God, the glory of God rises upon his people. Behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise on you. Which sounds like, you know, the way God deals with Israel in the midst of the darkness that's on Egypt, right? God rises on his, his people and gives them light for three days, while Egypt has none for three days. His glory will be seen upon you. And, and this, this, this idea of God separating light from darkness, that theme gets developed throughout Scripture. So not only is it, you know, there's all these different dividing events that happen. Um, there's the flood. God separating Noah and his family from the rest of the dark world around them. Right? He preserves Noah. Or God calling Abraham out of out of his his old life and out of his land and calling him into something that he's prepared for his people and his future generations. Or um God distinguishing between Egypt and and Israel with the light he gives Israel. Or God giving the tabernacle and the laws and the priesthood and his very presence to Israel, but but no one else gets that, right? Which isn't to the exclusion of them. It's actually for their benefit. God gives Israel his light in his word and his presence and his tabernacle and his priesthood. God gives that light to shine that light to the rest of the nations. To the rest of the nations. And so, um, there's this... God always distinguishes between his people and those who are not. And there will be one final day where Jesus comes... And he separates the goats from the sheep. He separates the wheat from the tares. He separates the light from the darkness. In one final uh, crescendo of this is the light that I've given my people once and for all my presence and my glory. Nations shall come to your light. This This has always been the reason God gives the light of his presence to his people. It's so that light shines through them to bring other people into that light. So Israel was always to be a city on a hill. They were always to be a beacon of light as they walk in God's ways and love his presence and know his heart. They were to emanate um, or uh, imitate the light of God to the nations. Right, That light was supposed to just emanate from them so that the nations go, wow. Look at the wisdom of this people. Look at the holiness of this people. Look at their God and how he just he conquers the dark the darkness of the of the world. Look at that. Wow. Let's go. You know, you see glimpses of this with uh the Queen of Sheba coming to Solomon. Uh you see glimpses of this with uh the wise men and the the Magi. They're coming to Jesus. Find him. These Magi from the east who frankly have no business coming to a Jewish Messiah, but they're invited. God has brought them. Uh, He's making a statement. They're coming to the light. Kings will come to the brightness of your rising. I think this is less about Israel and more about the Messiah that comes through Israel. And yes, there are benefits that fall on Israel because of the Messiah that comes through Israel for sure. But the point is, Jesus ultimately is the culmination of all this. So, you know, Jesus being the light of the world, the fact that he is light means so much more for us. Uh, So the glory of God can be compared to light. That's what I want you to see that in Isaiah chapter 60, there's there's an interchangeable set of terms going on where the glory of the Lord and the light of Israel are one and the same. And so what you've seen is that light can be insight and understanding of the mind or the heart where God reveals himself to me, where truth penetrates my heart, where I see clearer, right? Uh, As if light fills the innermost parts of a person. A light can provide clarity and direction, a sense of, hey, don't walk there, let's go here, avoid that, step over that, let's walk straight. Light provides clarity and direction. Light is... uh, interchangeable with or at least comes from fire and has to do with the glory of god the majesty of his radiance his beauty Um, light can be you know also the radiant beams that come from the sun or the moon or stars that give you know light and life and also life is uh used somewhat interchangeably with light in the old testament too is that the light of god becomes the life of his people um, uh, to be one and the same. And that's why it's, it's absolutely incredible that Jesus is the Word of God. He's the light. He's the life. He's all these ideas uh, that we saw connected in the Old Testament, but now we see their focal point in Christ. We see their focal point in Christ. So, now let me take you to a few texts because that's all Old Testament, right? That says nothing about Jesus. Right? Nothing about Jesus well, John 8, 12, we already saw Jesus says I am the light of the world. John chapter 9, I'm just going to give you a few scriptures that show you Jesus very clearly is the exclusive only light, which means he's the only one that provides us a way back to God, clarity and direction back to God. He's the only one that gives us the light of life so that we can have the very presence of God in our life, which was... Uh, You know, in the Old Testament, the presence of God was always, or most of the time, uh, marked with fire, um, or at least a lot of the times. Okay, so fire and the light um, was to be, you know, a characteristic of God is among his people. And Jesus provides that for us. He says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And he says this right after, hey, night is coming. Night is coming. Uh, But we need to know that Jesus is the light of the world in the midst of darkness. And the darkness can never overcome the light. Um, It's precisely the opposite. Matthew chapter 4, there's a prophecy Isaiah gives that is fulfilled. And let me go to um, Isaiah's prophecy for you so you can see it yourself. It's Isaiah chapter 9. It says, There will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. or Naphtali, Naphtali. But in the latter time, he's made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Here's what Isaiah prophesies, 700 years before Christ. The people who walked in darkness, specifically Galilee on the other side of the Jordan, they've seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them... Has light shone? On them has light shone. Now, here's what Matthew chapter 4, uh, Matthew the tax collector's gospel says about Christ. Um, he left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled. Right, so we have a fulfilling of prophecy going on. When's the last time you fulfilled prophecy? Never. The answer is never. Unless you want to say, well, I'm technically the promised seed of Abraham, as I follow in Jesus, I'm I'm part of that seed. That's that's cool. That's cool. But you didn't fulfill like over two hundred prophecies, so I mean Jesus is kinda better. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee, the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness. Dwelling in darkness. They've seen a great light. Who is that light? Who is the light that shines in the darkness and overcomes it? Who's the light that divides from the darkness that we see in Genesis, you know, which at least is foreshadowed by that or indicated by that creation work. I think it's Jesus. For those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Jesus is the light that shines and dawns on our life and shines into the darkness of our life and pulls us out of that darkness into his marvelous light he is that one prophesied um here we see this beautiful i want to say prophecy from zechariah that's what i thought zechariah's prophecy uh, comes to a close like this okay Uh, you child will be called the prophet of the most high speaking of john the baptist his son He tells people very clearly in John's gospel, just so you know, I am not the light. I'm just here testifying of that light. And then John the apostle will be like, yeah, John the Baptist is not the guy. He's just preparing the way for the light. So the sunrise here that's visiting the people, giving light to those who are in darkness in the shadow of death, guiding people into the way of peace, that's Jesus. There ain't no way around that. Go down to Luke 2.32. This is what, uh, uh, who is this? I want to say it's, uh, what is Simeon? That's right. Simeon is my guy. Simeon's been waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It was revealed to my guy, Simeon. By the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Christ. He came in the Spirit into the temple where Mary and Joseph had brought Jesus to deal with the temple. uh, At least the the customs and be obedient to the law, which is to be circumcised on the eighth day. And there's a sacrifice for, um, you know, the, the blood that comes from the woman at childbirth, all that different stuff. Um... He came in the spirit in the temple when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law. (laughs) He just took him up in his arms. Now, you got to wonder, like, did Simeon just walk up to Mary and Joseph and be like, this baby? Did he ask permission? Was he like, don't worry, the spirit of God told me to do this. And he went straight Rafiki on Jesus. I don't know. But he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And he said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. Just like you said, according to your word, my eyes have seen your salvation, that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples. Now remember, salvation and light are um, not synonymous terms, okay, but they're very, very closely connected. When you think of light, you would think of salvation. That That was God saving his people, was actually bringing his light. And the life of his people, the light. My eyes have seen your salvation, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. So, here we have Mr. Prophet Simeon spent his whole life, spent his whole life waiting to see the salvation of the Lord that God promised. If you're waiting for something, I'll tell you, sometimes you wait a lot longer than you thought. Because God doesn't give you the terms of the waiting. He just says, wait. And then we go, hmm. And we attach our own timetable to that. God must have meant no more than two years. Well, Simeon's reaching the end of his life. And he goes, finally, I can die in peace. (laughs) I've been waiting for this. This is the revelation of light to the Gentiles. This is the salvation of God. Holding a baby. Jesus is that salvation. He is that light all throughout the Old Testament that we see the salvation, the light, the life, the word, all coming together in this person, this baby, Jesus. John opens his gospel like this, you know, before or right after giving us a very clear statement, Jesus is God. He says in him was life and that life was the light of men. Remember how I said in the Old Testament, when you would think of light, there would often, you would often think of life. Like, life was often synonymous with light. Because, I mean, really the light that comes from the sun makes life possible here on earth. And the light that is in Jesus, the life that he offers humanity, that light shines in the darkness. Now, when you think darkness, think death. Think despair, think hopelessness, think exile, think outside the garden presence of God. There's nothing but darkness and destruction and chaos and separation and despair and hopelessness. Well, the light shines in that darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There's no way for the spiritual darkness and the kingdom of darkness to overtake the one who is light. Verse 8 and 9, it says, he, John the Baptist, comes testifying about the light. He came to bear witness about the light. The true light, Jesus, which gives light, whoa, interesting, to everyone who's coming into the world. So Jesus is God's, the Father's invitation into his light. Think of it like that. When God sends his son, he's sending an invitation with arms and legs into his marvelous light called his son. And he says, I am offering you the chance to have the light I have emanating from me. You can have that light in yourself. You can live in that light. You can be found in that light and invite other people into that light and enjoy that light. So the true light that comes from the Father is brought to us so that we can have that very life and light and salvation found in Jesus. Acts chapter 9, verse 3, we see my guy Saul... Get knocked on his butt, UFC style. God doesn't even use arms or legs, just uses light. As he went on his way, he approached Damascus. Saul's like, I'm about to murder some Christians. God goes, not today. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. I don't know what that was like. I think later in Acts, Saul will account, uh, recount um, the event by saying that the men who were with him saw the light too but they didn't understand the voice that was speaking. And as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone all around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And we know that this is Jesus. He says, I am Jesus. So I'm not trying to recount this whole event. The point is just to show you that even post resurrection, Jesus has ascended to the father and he's choosing Saul Part of that salvation story, part of that bringing Saul into repentance and showing him revealing the son to Saul, revealing Jesus to Saul, it includes a blinding light. It includes a blinding light. Uh, Acts chapter 26, verse 23. um, If I'm correct. Ah, yes. There's, I think, This is Paul standing on trial. He talks about how prophets and Moses speak of Jesus. That the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he will proclaim light. Not life. That doesn't mean it's not life, but Paul doesn't explicitly say life. He doesn't explicitly say uh, salvation. He doesn't explicitly say the word of God. Did Jesus proclaim the word and the gospel? Yeah. Did he proclaim, repent, repent? Yeah. Did he proclaim life? Yeah. Did he proclaim, uh, what was the other one? Salvation. Yeah, he totally did. But Paul is going, yeah, he proclaimed light to our people and to the Gentiles. When you think light, all those ideas are wrapped up in light. Salvation, the word, um, Life, the life of God. That's why John will say the light was the life of men, or the life was the light of men. First um, Timothy six. So I think we've um, made it very clear that Jesus is indeed the light. First Timothy six sixteen, speaking of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the blessed and only Sovereign, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion amen now this might be speaking just of the father to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our lord jesus which he will display at the proper time so jesus is the one being displayed he who is the blessed Only sovereign, king of kings, lord of lords, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Well, everyone, there's a lot of people that have seen Jesus, so I don't think this can actually be said uh, of Jesus, at least this part, whom no one has seen. But I do believe this is true. Other scriptures will testify that Jesus is indeed the king of kings and lord of lords. He is, he does have immortality, he does dwell in unapproachable light. Because he is the light. But I don't know what to do with this, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Not for today. <laughs> I got a lot more stuff to get to. Maybe one day. I think it is just talking about the Father, but um. Certain characteristics of that statement are true of Christ as well. But we you know, humanity has seen Jesus, so maybe there's a way in, in which he has not been revealed, like um from heaven that kind of thing I don't know I'm not thinking straight this morning oh yes okay this is where things get a little interesting because you have the skeptic or you have the other religions that will say oh Jesus was a moral teacher if anything just a good teacher that got himself in trouble start tried to get all political start a revolt and they weren't having that and so jesus was crucified but he was not god that's what some people would say let's see if that just just talking about light let's see if that holds any water this is the message we've heard from him we proclaim to you god is light in him is no darkness at all There's absolutely no darkness, no shifting shadow, no potential for change, no evil in God. He is light. And we've seen over and over that Jesus is the light. He's light. So which is it? It's both end, isn't it? It really is. Because the scriptures aren't going to contradict. So what we're experiencing as we work through this is God the light, is Jesus the light, Well, technically, if Jesus is the light, he can only be the light because he's borrowed light from his father. Let me work around this. The point is, there's no way around the fact that Jesus being the light and God being the only exclusive light, those statements can coexist when you understand that Jesus is indeed God alongside God the Father. As the eternal word emanating from the Father, always been alongside him, distinct from him, he is God alongside God the Father. And that is just in and of itself, just a confusing, confusing concept Um, for those of us that want to just put things into neat, neatly organized categories in our brain and just go, well, Jesus belongs here and God belongs here. I think there are things about the nature and the complexity of God and his essence that frankly our limited minds can understand parts of, but not perfectly, not entirely. Revelation 21, I told you we'd end in Revelation, then we'll get into the practical uh, side of things. This is how John, the visionary, ends or brings this um, prophetic revelation to an end. Revelation 21. It says, I saw no temple in the city. Its temple... Is the Lord God. Like there's no need for a building. To restrict the presence of God. God is just among his people. There's no box. No walls required. God's just there. And the lamb. The city has no need of sun. No moon to shine on it. For the glory of God. Gives it light. And these are the people of God. The city is less about an actual, like, territory, an actual, like, you might say there are actual boundaries God might draw up and map out to 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 kind of mark out his specific domain if there is such a thing in, like, the city and what's on the outside. Some people think that, okay? But the point still stands. This is about the people of God. The, the people of God have no need for the sun or the moon to shine on it. The glory of God gives it light. Yeah, its lamp is the lamb. It's a lot of symbolic imagery that goes within Revelation. Not everything is completely literal. Um, these are images, like prophetic images that communicate uh, deeper things. The lamb is not an actual lamb. He's Jesus. But he is the sacrificial lamb offered up for the sin of the world. Like John the Baptist says, By its light will the nations walk. So this is really interesting. Remember how we've talked about how the word of God is a lamp unto our feet? Boom, boom, boom. And a light to our path? The light and the lamp come colliding in the word of God. Right? The light that gives clarity and direction and the lamp that, you know, gives that sense of salvation and life and assurance and confidence to take that next step. The light and the lamp, the glory of God is the light of his people. The lamb of God is the lamp of his people. By that light that is provided by the glory of God in the sun, the nations will walk. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day. You never have to wonder, like when you go to a new restaurant or a new store, like, shoot, are they closed today? Yeah, it'll always be open. No hours of operation that you have to worry about. There will be no night there. So notice how the shifting of light, starting in Genesis, God brings light, separates it from the darkness, right? Speaks it in a definitive way where it's delineated from darkness, right? And now we kind of see that image coming full circle in Revelation, where it's no longer the sun giving light or the light is like just this concept of the day Light is actually the glory of God among his people, which is what it was always supposed to be about. When Adam and Eve wake up in the garden, the light of their life and the really their existence is wrapped up in God being among them, his presence. So that's what it's about getting back to, um, is God being the light of his people. So you got to ask yourself, is God the light of your life? And that can be a very vague question. I get that. is god the light of your life does your life find its substance in god does your life find its direction from god does god instruct you on how to live or do you look to the culture to instruct you on how to live do you let the scriptures tell you how to, do you let god reveal who he is through his word or do you let pastors and preachers and church leaders tell you about God and you never get in the word yourself, which doesn't mean never trust anyone. It means be discerning and have a relationship with God on your, you know, by yourself, not by yourself, but yourself so that you can process what people say in the name of God and actually go, hmm, you know, what that does sound like God or hey, that doesn't sound like God. Is God the light of your life? Is, is he what brings you joy? Is he the radiance of your life? You know, light is what kind of Um, there's this expression we use, um, uh, that caused him to light up. There's a, there's a visible facial expression of joy and happiness that came upon him. Is God your reason for that? For that joy that wells up in you for that, that light that emanates from you and reaches to the lives of other people. Is God the one that you're excited about? Is God the one who provides, you know, clear direction to you or. Do you just let your feelings guide you into every situation and every decision you make is based on how I feel and how I've always felt and I trust my feelings, I trust my heart. Mulan told me to, you know. Mulan is garbage, don't listen to that movie because you shouldn't trust your heart unless it's guided by God. You need to let your heart be guided, not let your heart guide you. Night will be no more. This is what Revelation 22.5 says. They won't need the light uh, or lamp of the lamp or sun For the Lord God will be their light. Now that's interesting that in Revelation 21, just a chapter before, uh, right up here, he said, I saw no temple um, and there's no more sun, right? But here he says, yeah, there's no more lamp, which I think is supposed to, you're supposed to think the lampstand that actually used to be in the temple, which is just another way of saying, yeah, there's no more physical temple possibly, right? Right? Um, there's no more actual sun because God is their light and they will reign forever and ever. I know that some people hold to a an eschatology that says there will be a temple rebuilt and that's what we're aiming for and God, that's fine. I'm just going to go with what Revelation says and when God does come among his people, there's no more temple. There's no more of that oh, well, we got to wait for the menorahs and the priestly service to be done and that's how we come to God. It's actually that God is the light of His people. and It's humanity, at least the people of God, coming into communion with their Father where the light of their life is God. And that light is going to be expressed through reigning, reigning forever and ever. So part of walking in the light of God is functioning as image bearers. God made Adam and Eve to rule. He really did. He made humanity to rule and steward the earth, to have dominion over the earth, to cultivate the earth, to expand the borders, you know, of the garden to actually like bring more uh, life and more image bearers into the world for sure. Um, So part of that was that they were made to be image bearers that reign under the authority of God. That's what it would look like to walk in the light of his presence is that God is guiding you as you're reigning over what he's given you to steward. And that's ultimately what we're going to find ourselves back in when, um, you know, the new creation comes is we will be reigning with Jesus in the light of him and his glory as we were made to. As we were made to. So, we saw Old Testament images of light and how that kind of gets built out. We looked at Jesus being the light. Let me take you somewhere else. Matthew five. You are the light of the world. Who's Jesus talking to? The nation of Israel. A city set on a hill can't be hidden. Who did God choose from all the other nations? Who did he choose? He chose Israel. For what purpose? Well, to be a beacon of his light, to bring the Messiah into the world ultimately, to be the vehicle through which the Messiah would come to bring ultimate light and fulfill every promise and every prophecy. But also Israel's chosen to like do what God said and to enjoy his presence and to keep his laws and to actually obey him. And as they do that light, the spiritual light of that nation would, would penetrate the darkness of the surrounding nations. So they were supposed to be a beacon of God's light, but they failed. So Jesus picks up the broken pieces and he does what no one was able to do, including the nation of Israel. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine. Let your light shine before others. And immediately people run to evangelize and do a lot of good stuff and get involved in the community. And those are all great things. But I think the main way for my light to effectively shine into the lives of other people, look, so that they may see your good works. The good works here are equivalent of the light shining in my life. So I was like, how do I let my light shine? Well, you're going to do the good works God has prepared for you to do before the foundation of the world, Ephesians two. And when you do, They'll give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Okay? So, this is either a failed promise, because people go, well, uh, this is about unbelievers. When I shine my light, they'll give glory to God. Not everyone does. Some people throw stones. Stephen. (laughs) Some people, like, hate you. Paul. Some people want nothing to do with you. Like Jesus. Right? They rejected Jesus, and all the people that followed after him. Like, a lot of people did not like the people or the apostles that Jesus sent, right? There was frustration among the Jews and jealousy and and all this stuff. So either this is a failed promise or, or, okay, he's speaking of the good works I'm doing, being done in a primarily church setting. I'm not saying like in the building, I'm saying among the people of God, seems to be the context that these good works find themselves in. The light is shining, right? And it's giving light on the house. When I do my good works, people see that and they go, wow. And they give glory to God. They glorify his name. Doesn't that assume they actually belong to God already? Or you might say, no, they're coming to God through your good works. They're seeing the evidence for the gospel. They're seeing what it looks like to imitate Jesus. They're seeing the glory of God in your life. Yeah, yeah. I think the point of God setting Israel as a light amidst the darkness, right, is that the light would shine into the darkness. And that, they failed to do that. So Jesus comes and he does the ultimate good work that none of us ever could. He's the ultimate light that shines in the darkness of our hearts. So now we have that light. And so when Jesus calls Israel uh, in the Sermon on the Mount to like, hey, when people see your good works, they'll give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I don't think this is not including evangelism and is not including good works done in the community around unbelievers because we got to let the darkness see the light of our life. I I just think because these people are giving glory to God, uh, it, it seems as though this is mainly, not only hear what I'm saying, mainly, about the good works I'm doing, being in service to the church and the people of God. And then hopefully the world around me that doesn't believe in God will see that love and those good works of service that I have for the people of God and go, wow, that doesn't mean I neglect the unbelieving world. Just, I think I've spoken on this before that when it comes to unity and love and the limited efforts or the limited energy I have, right? It seems like if scripture, um, not that we have to make a choice, but if I did have to make a choice between um, dedicate myself to uh, unbelievers or believers, most of my time should be spent building and strengthening and encouraging the believers in my life while not neglecting unbelievers again, but it's for the sake of equipping and training so they can reach more and we can reach more people together as opposed to me only focusing on unbelievers and never training them, never sending them out, never discipling, never loving and serving. God wants us to love and serve each other. John 17, the high priestly prayer. I don't wanna get into it, but I could say a lot about that. John 12 says, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. How do you become a son of the light instead of a son of the darkness? Well, you gotta believe. In the one who has ultimate light to give. That's Jesus. He goes, I'm inviting you into my light. You either believe me or you don't. If you believe, you're born again and you become sons of the one who is light. Right? We become sons of the living God. We're born again into his family. Right? We have um, his name now. We carry his name in the earth. We belong to him as our good father. So now we're sons of the light. That happens because Jesus has come. Uh, Jesus says in verse 46, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in the darkness. Jesus doesn't come to shine his light so we can stay in the darkness and just kind of look at his light the whole time. He doesn't come to enable us to stay in the darkness and feel comfortable. He comes to call us out. He comes to pull you out of sin. He comes to pull you out of death because you're sitting on death row because of your sin without Jesus. You're on death row. You're waiting to just die and stand at the judgment and be separated from God for eternity. Without Jesus, that's what happens. Jesus is calling you out of that spiritual darkness, out of that rebellion, out of that unbelief, out of that normative way of living according to our culture, which is marked by despair and hopelessness and anger and rage and, and all these different things that God is not for. Jesus has called, come to call you out of, really, your old way of life, not to enable you to stay there. Romans 13, 12, it says the night is far gone. The day is at hand. If that's the case, let's cast off the works of darkness. Interesting. Let's put on the armor of light. Let's rock. Let's walk. Let's rock properly. There's a right way to rock. Let's walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies. If you don't know what that is, you talk to your parents, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling, jealousy, let's not engage in those things. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the armor of light here? It's right there. Put on the Lord Jesus. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You know, we we brag about the fact that he's the light, and we should. We boast in him. We don't boast in ourselves. But as I boast in him, as I grow in him, as I see Jesus clearer, as I spend time in his word and I get around his people, you know what should be happening? I should see darkness slowly leaving my life. I should see more and more of the darkness of my own life and habits and addictions and thought patterns and the way I interact with people. That darkness should be progressively leaving. And it's not always evident for sure. The way God works underground, right? Fruit takes time. But you should see evidence of that over time, the darkness of your life. But you have to choose to put on the armor of light. It's your choice daily. No one's gonna make you. God's made the armor of light available. He said, I've made you a child of the light. I've filled you with the light so that now you're the light of the world. That's what Jesus ultimately says. He says, I am the light. And then he turns around and he goes, you are the light of the world. And you're going, how is that even possible? You go, well, aren't you my body? Aren't you guys like my hands and feet in the world? Aren't you guys, you know, uh, children of God because of my work for you? Yeah, we are. We really are, but we still have to choose to put on the armor of light daily. You can be in the light. (laughs) Christina said, let's rock. Let's rock, let's rock today. You can be in the light. You can be a child of light. You can have your nature fundamentally changed and still, each day, not really resist the darkness as well as you could, and you can still not choose—you know—not choose to put on the armor of light. And go well, I think today I'm just going to sit in the darkness. You know, it doesn't mean like grace enables sin. Ultimately, the fruit of one's life reveals the condition of their heart for sure. I get that, but I can still like choose to sit here today and go. You know, what? I'm not going to put on the armor of light when God's made it available. How do you put on the armor of light? Put on Jesus. I don't know what that means. Too vague. Can't do it. Let me make it a little more specific so you can do it. Uh, Don't engage in these things. Jealousy, quarreling, sensuality, sexual immorality, drunkenness, uh, orgies, you know, casual Saturday evening activities. Don't engage in those things. That's not the only way to put on Jesus, but in Romans 13, those are some of the ways you can... uh, put on Jesus, is to not engage in those things. And so putting on the armor of light is not just about avoiding the bad things. It's about replacing those bad things with the right things. So instead of getting drunk, maybe I'll go to Bible study. Instead of going over and calling someone to sleep with me and let's see where it takes us, we'll just throw on some Netflix. Instead of moving towards sexual immorality, I could have a Bible study with uh, my friend over the phone. Instead of being jealous of what people have I can use what God's given me and be faithful and steward that and thank him. Instead of quarreling I can lay myself down and humble myself and admit maybe there's a potential that I'm wrong. And you know be a little more self-reflective. You know you can do the right things in place of the wrong. Put on the armor of light. Are you the light of the world since you're in Christ? Yeah. Has your nature been fundamentally changed? Yeah. Have you been pulled out of the kingdom of darkness? Yeah, but you still got to put on the light daily. And God ain't going to make you do that. But he's made everything available so that you can. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 through 7. Speaking of the unbelievers, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who, by the way, is the, the image of God. Now, we're made in the image of God. Jesus, different. He is the image of God, which, by the way, I just thought of something. Do you remember when Moses meets with God on Mount Sinai in a fire and there's darkness and there's a cloud and there's smoke, you know, just like your normal Sunday afternoon barbecue? He's just sitting on the mount with God. For 40 days. Um, Moses asks God, I think the second time, please, Lord, show me your glory. Okay. God fulfills that in the way Moses can handle. Not necessarily the way Moses pictured it or wanted, but the way that Moses could handle in his fleshly body without being obliterated. Um, Fast forward jesus takes peter james and john on the mount of transfiguration do you remember who appears to peter james and john with jesus moses and elijah the representatives of the law and the prophets so we have moses who said god i want to see your glory jesus weirdly enough peels back his fleshly nature. So that the glory of his radiance and his magnificence and beauty could be seen, he gives Peter James and John a glimpse into his divinity in terms of like he is not just a person. he peels back his glory. It says he's um i think when we get to the text, it'll say that his his clothes uh shone as bright as light, depending on the the account I think it's mark's account, so he's peeling back uh the curtain the what veiled you know his hidden glory, he reveals a glimpse of that, just like Moses asked God to do on Sinai. Jesus does it, not at the request of Peter, James, and John, but just, a, he literally is transfigured before them. He's glorified in terms of, not like resurrected from the dead, he's at the right hand of the Father, but he starts emanating white light and radiance, it's beautiful, and it's blowing their minds, they can't even look, and then the cloud overshadows them, right? But Moses appears. And I think right there, Moses is getting... Um it's almost like the, the completion of his prayer request. Like he's saying, Jesus is the glory of God, for sure. Jesus is the one who is from the Father, the very nature and essence of God, the very image of God. So when Moses sees Jesus, um, you know, reveal his glory, Moses must have been like But the point of me sharing that is to let you know that there's a light, there's a there's a radiance Moses experienced on Mount Sinai. When he said, "I want to see your glory," there was a there was a kind of mind blowing light that Moses got to experience the train of, of of God's robe as he passed by. Okay, and there's a light on the Mount of Transfiguration that emanates from Jesus. It's the light of His glory. So the, the light of His glory. Moses asks to see God's glory. Jesus reveals His glory as the one sent from the Father, who is the glory of God. Moses and Jesus are different, for sure. But that's one of the ways also that Jesus fulfills that little category in the Old Testament we call the light of God, the light of God. Um, I just thought that was something worth sharing because in, right here it's the light of the gospel. The gospel brings spiritual enlightenment new age uh, the New Age movement has hijacked that terminology, enlightenment, right Buddhism has hijacked that terminology. The spirit of God illuminates or enlightens the heart of a person through the gospel. The gospel actually enlightens um, and shows the glory of Christ, the image of God to the heart of the person. That's the light we need. It comes from believing the gospel. It comes from believing the gospel, which is the message about life, salvation, the light of Jesus, and who is the word. Second Corinthians 6 says, um, is this the right one? Mm. Mm. Did I do a typo? I'll be so sad. Bummer. That's okay. Let's do a quick word search. By the way, you can get this app. A lot of people ask me, what app do you use? Bible study. Bible study. So what you can do is search for any term, like I did a word study. Um, uh, 2 Corinthians 6.14. Yes. Okay, cool. I was in the right area. 2 Corinthians 6.14, right here. Remember, we're going, what does it look like to live in the light of Jesus? Well, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Well, that's just marriage. Is it? Is it just marriage? What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Is it okay for righteousness and lawlessness to be coexisting outside of a marriage relationship? Like, what fellowship has light with darkness? What what accord has Christ with Belial? Okay, whatever false god is in mind here whatever name they're using what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever does it sound like it's just marriage or are these things not okay also outside of marriage like if i'm like well i'm not married to this person (laughs) i know they're of the darkness and i know they're of lawlessness and i'm engaging in what they're doing and they're leading me into sin it's okay we're not married it's not a good argument This unequally yoked concept, not just about marriage. It's about you are the light now that you're in Christ because you have his very, you know, um, uh, status as the first resurrected human who stands in our place, right? The glorified uh, one of Daniel's vision. He gives us his status in the sight of the Father. Now that we have that, we're the light of the world. Why would you combine yourself with darkness? That doesn't mean stay away from the darkness and don't go into the darkness to shine the light. It means be wise. Don't participate in the darkness. Don't engage in the spiritual activities that the darkness has for you. Otherwise you're kind of crippling the light from shining. The way your light shines is by being different and being different means living different, doing different things. And if you're living like the darkness around you and doing what everyone else does, who's an unbeliever, you're suppressing the light and you're actually adapting to the darkness and killing whatever sense of testimony you had to give the people around you because you're just living like them. Ephesians 5, 8 through 9, it says, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. The difference between Jesus being light okay, and us being light is that we're only light because we're in him. He is light because he's self-sufficient and no one assigns him this light. He is light. So now that we are the light, we can walk as children of light. For the fruit of light, as children of light, we will bear fruit. That fruit is found in all that is good, righteous, true. Try to discern what is pleasing to God. God has pulled you into the light your job is to put on the armor of light, put on Jesus, seek his face, know his heart, spend time with him, invest in a relationship. And part of that includes, I am consciously trying to discern on a daily, moment-to-moment basis, what is pleasing to God here? Is this good? Is this right? Is this true? Does this match up with the scriptures? Does this match up with the heart of God? Does this align with the character of God? I'm discerning. I'm discerning because just as God draws a very clear delineation between light and darkness, I have to live life with those two categories too. I need to understand there is light and there is darkness. There are things I can do that honor God, there are things I can do that don't honor Him. right? So, And I need to learn how to discern before I do something, before I make a decision, before I let my emotions take hold of me. I need to stop and discern in this moment what I am about to do, what category will this find itself in? Is this activity light or is this activity darkness? Is this decision honoring God or is this decision not? Part of walking in the light actually requires your discernment that God gives you, right? But you're being trained, your discernment is trained. So Paul doesn't say, don't worry, God will discern for you. You have to take the decisive action to try and discern with the wisdom God gives, with the spirit he provides. You're trying to discern. You're wanting to discern. It's not God will do it all and I just sit back and watch. It's God does it through you, but you got to get up off the couch and put on the armor of light. Do you know why? Because there's darkness all around us, man. And remember, we've been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. We're delivered. It's done. We're free. We're set free. Right? That oppression has been lifted. Those chains have been broken. That prison door has been swung open by Christ. We are out of the domain of darkness. And he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. But there's a way to live now that you're a part of this kingdom. There are a set of expectations for those who want to be a part of this kingdom. You're going to live a certain way. Not to stay in the kingdom, not to maintain your citizenship, but because you're in this kingdom now, you will start to live a certain way. Over time, as God bears fruit in your life and changes you and develops you and sanctifies you, you will live different. And we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus. We've been transferred. Thank you for that gift, Brandon. We've been transferred. So now we are qualified for the inheritance. 1 Peter two nine says, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. We collectively are a holy nation. A people for his own possession. Wow. Why? Well, this you can... You can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's this repeating idea of God calls things out of the darkness. God separates the light from the darkness. God shines into the darkness. And now that we belong to God, we're called to proclaim his excellencies, his glory and majesty his word his love his gospel and mainly his light thank you for that gift brother his light once you were not a people like understand this for those of you that are in christ now and you you forget that you used to be a sinner and dead in christ separated from god in exile on death row. you forget that let me just remind you once you were not a people but now you are God's people. Once you hadn't received mercy, but now you have. Don't live in the past, but periodically remember it to keep you humble. You haven't always been what you are. You haven't always been this zealous for God as you. You haven't always been this, this ambitious for the things of God. You haven't always been this desirous for his presence. At one time, man, you were the darkness. Ephesians pulls no punches. Like, Paul ain't messing. Yeah, it's it's not that you were just in the darkness, you were you were darkness. This is the last scripture for today. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. In the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Walking in the light right here is mostly about fellowship. The word fellowship can just get watered down and we, get, we abuse that term and it means nothing to, in Christian culture. Fellowship is, is this, um, let's actually look up the word before I wrongly explain it, because I have a lot of ideas I want to explain as it relates to fellowship, but just to be honest about the word being used, let me go to the text. Partnership a Sharing of life in communion or relationship that's what I thought. it's this familiarity not like, not in like a bad way, but where you've you've communion oneness, unity uh, a shared love there essentially fellowship is relationship doing life, having communion um, it, it involves intimacy. Walking in the light is mostly and hear me hear me hear me. For those of you that obsess over doing all the right things and and you hold yourself to a set of expectations God doesn't and you, you so over focus on your acts of obedience and when you fail, you hyper emphasize that. For those of you that are all about doing, 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 serving, 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 let's pause. Walking in the light is mainly about having fellowship with God. Will you do things that honor Him? Yes. Will you do good works that shine his light? Yes. Are those ultimate? No. Blasphemy! Hold on, I didn't say they don't matter. Those things are the byproduct of knowing God. If you don't know him, anything you're doing for him, anything you call service unto him, anything you're proud of, I'm doing it for God, can slowly turn into or even be something that isn't pleasing at all to him. Because what God calls us to his relationship, what he's invited us into is his light. And the light of his presence is way more valuable than the light of any good works I do by the grace of God. Of course, God's gonna do it through me. But what I do for God, and even what God does through me, is not as valuable as God himself. So if you're like, I want to walk in the light so bad. I want to break this addiction so bad. I'm so tired of hiding in the darkness. I want to be honest and transparent with my girlfriend about where I am. For those of you that are like, I know God is convicting me to come into the light. I just don't know how. I want to do all these good things. I want to obey. I want to bear fruit. I feel like a failure. If that's you, your main focus should be, God, I've just come to know you. Open the eyes of my heart shine the light of your gospel into my heart shine your light give me insight and understanding help me to know you help me to know you i just want to see you i just want to know you and if i prioritize anything above the my relationship with god if i prioritize anything above his presence you start to fall into some really deadly territory and you start to do things he never called you to and you start to do things that might honor him, but you do it with a heart that doesn't. And you start to ego starts to creep in and pride and self-righteousness and, and you're a hypocrite behind closed doors, you abusive with your, your lips, and your words just tear down people, but you know, in front of Christians, you're this man of God. That is something. The 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 walking in the light is the byproduct, it's the fruit. It is the result of just knowing God personally. So that's why scripture will communicate the light of his presence, the light of his countenance, the light of his glory, because in his presence is the light of life and salvation. And his word brings that illumination and understanding so I can walk in the light. I don't want to impersonally walk in some concept of light that's disconnected from God. I don't want to like look to God as some mob boss that's just like, I'm waiting, Tony. I better see those numbers by tonight. I don't want to look to God like that and go, he's, he's, he's waiting for me to walk in the light or he might cut me out of his kingdom. I want to enjoy the light of his presence. And I want to walk in partnership with God so that any good he does through me, I remember this is just you working through me as a natural fruit of me having a relationship with you. You're the one that gets all the glory. You get all the credit all the credit. I just want to enjoy the light of your presence and character and the, the light of your love that really promotes life in me to go and live for you. That's what I want. And the fellowship here that's in mind in first John chapter one, yes, I get it. It's about having fellowship with one another, but he will go on to say, just so you know, okay. Um, um, up here, any fellowship with the church assumes you have fellowship firstly with God. You cannot have relationship like good, fellowship, we are one. You can have unity with the church if you're disconnected from the Father. So any good you want to do for the world, any good you want to do for the church, will fall flat on its face if you do it without seeking God above all else. Disconnected from God, any good I do will not amount to anything eternally. It can have initial benefit, it can have immediate It benefit, provide temporary comfort and convenience to people. But apart from Jesus, apart from the Father working through me, the kind of fellowship I can have with the church is going to be stale and cold and impersonal and hypocritical. And I just want to avoid that, man. So let's put God above all else as the light of our life. Let's remind ourselves, He is the light of my life. Not even the direction He provides. Not even the word that brings clarity and understanding. Just him. And of course, he's revealed through his word. Of course, the word of God gives us insight into his character and his heart, for sure. But everything has to find its place in the, in I guess, against the backdrop of God's glory and magnificence. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't, I'm telling you, you start to wander into some territory God was actually trying to keep you from. Verse 9 of chapter 2 says, Whoever says he's in the light, yet hates his brother, well, they're still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And you know what? In him, there's no cause for stumbling. In the darkness, when there's no light, you're probably going to stub your toe a lot. You're probably going to bang your knees quite a bit. You're probably going to grow with an understanding and adapt and adjust and start wearing knee pads. And start, well, if I got to live in the darkness, I might as well put on some knee pads, put on some protective measures to keep me from banging myself up. You're still going to hit yourself. Still going to run into stuff. Still going to be confused, angry, hopeless, and despairing. But when you come into the light, not only is there enjoyment in the light and life can happen and flourish in the light, but the presence of God being our light is what allows us to have love for people. And you know what? Living in the light is synonymous with loving God and people. When you are not loving God or loving people, and don't get too, I don't know, burdensome with this and religious with this idea, right? Don't take this farther than it's meant to go. But when you are not loving God or loving people, you find yourself not walking in the light that he's invited you into. When I enjoy the light of God's presence, It is to be now uh, a a light that emanates from me. And this is why I think the Christian life can be broken down into three categories, okay? When you, hi there, Pastor Scott. You saw him on TikTok. There are three, almost three categories to being image bearers of God in the earth. Number one is I am um, growing into the image of Jesus, okay? Okay. That requires me to seek God and know him and pursue him and and be in fellowship, okay? Me growing in the image of Jesus. Number two, when I'm growing in the image of Jesus, I'll reflect his image to the world. And when I reflect his image, right, that image in me will be multiplied in the lives of other. And it's not that I want them to look like me, it's that I want them to look like Jesus in me. I want them to look like those parts of my life that actually honor Jesus. And so when we talk about walking in the light, it's not just it's not just to be those who absorb the light mindlessly. It's not to be just those who have no sense of, well I'm just I'm just here to know God and forget his people. You're here to like know God so that other people can know him through your life. So any light that I absorb should be reflected back to the world and all glory goes unto him. And if there's no reflection, you wonder if there is true absorption. Like if there was no sense of if there's no sense of the world seeing the light of Christ through your life, you wonder what you're doing in your quiet time. Are you really seeking him? And now that there's like some restrictive way to like, oh, right, if you don't meet these conditions, you're not really seeking God. The point is, I know lots of people that have an idea of seeking God or seeking for him that isn't actually true to scripture. It's like self-centered. It's self-preserving. It has me in mind and what God can give and all the benefits instead of just God himself being ultimate. Like, you have to get to a place in your life where you say, he's my light, period. And I don't care where I find myself. I don't care what I have in my hands. I don't care who's around me. He's the light of my life. And no amount of darkness can change that or reverse it or overwhelm the light in me. He's the light of my life. He's my treasure. He's my glory. He's, he's my radiance. He's the, Anything I'm proud of is just God in my life and who he is and what he's done for me. That's what we need to get to, is a place where Jesus is ultimate. If you want to enjoy the light, if Jesus is the light, what you're saying is, I want to get to a place where I enjoy Jesus, like truly enjoy, in the midst of lots of expectations that aren't met, in the midst of lots of dreams you're waiting for that haven't come to pass, in the midst of lots of disappointment and possibly persecution, when you're doing the right thing, things just get harder and people come against you in the midst of all that. Can you really say, he's still enough. He's the light of my life and I need nothing else. Even if he never does what I believe he will, even if he never improves this area of my life, even if he never adds those things I'm hoping and waiting for and I've been praying for years, even if he never changes the situation, is he still the light of your life? And the fact that he's the light of your life will be proven by the fact that that light is reflected through you in the way you live and function and interact with people. So light now affects satisfaction. The the light, everyone is drawing from a source. And ultimately, you can tell what source a person is drawing from by the way they live. Truly. Everyone's looking to something for a sense of give me direction. Give me hope. Give me joy. Give me a sense of clarity. Give me life. And then if it's not God, that is, you're going to be left dry. You're going to be left dry. And so I pray for you guys. In fact, Lord, I, I pray for these people in here, my brothers and sisters, God, that they would get to the place where you are truly the light of their life. I pray that you would remove any previous church hurt, um, and maybe not remove, but heal. Bring them to a place where there's nothing in the way of them truly saying, Jesus, Jesus is the light of my life. God is my light. That's a place you bring us to, Father. That's a place you lead us into. That's not a place we discover on our own without you. That's a place you lead us. As the good shepherd of our life, you lead us into that. So Father, we are looking to you, longing to reflect your light, longing to bring your light into this dark world. But that, those things happen, Lord, as the result of knowing you. So help us, for those of us that have prioritized Other things above your presence, school, work, family, finances, hobbies, my skills, me getting to the gym, whatever it is, Lord, help us to actually put you above all of it and to actually find you at the center of all those other things. Help your people shine the light of your gospel into their hearts. Some of them need salvation. Some of them need to see you clearer so they can enjoy this salvation and not be burdened by that sense of condemnation that you've removed. God, lead us in each specifically in the way you want to, in a very personal way. We're longing for you to meet with us and shine into our hearts with your light, whatever that looks like here. I'm praying and believing that you will. In Jesus' name, you know best. I want to share something with you guys. I Haven't shared this publicly. I've only shared this with a handful of people and I'm only sharing this because I believe there's a reason I'm supposed to, and I haven't quite figured out why yet. Only time will tell. Um, maybe like was like five days ago, I couldn't sleep. Um, and that's that's normal. <gasps> I never get good sleep. And um so I'm tossing and turning in bed and um like this wave of uh temptation comes over me, right? And so I pray and I start to fall asleep. And you know, as you're falling asleep, usually there's this like you start to like see things in your mind, which is like an indication you're entering into like that dream state, and you're like, Yes, I'm falling asleep And so I thought it was that and I start to see you know, pictures and stuff and images and all of a sudden, boom, there's like this this movie starts playing in my head. And this felt so, so different than uh, any other kind of like falling asleep vision images in your head. This felt different and I'll tell you why. I all of a sudden am looking um, through this dense fog, now I've been in fog before. Uh, But this is like the thickest fog I've ever seen and what's interesting is that my mind could imagine it without me ever physically seeing it So that's weird. But in my mind, there was the kind of fog where you couldn't take you couldn't see two steps in front of you Um, I remember seeing There's this huge fog like I looked like I was in a city out in the streets there were people like in kind of like the shadows of the fog you couldn't see it happening, but I was like around like Right next to them, seeing it happen, people were getting mauled by lions. People were dying. Um, some people were getting dragged down into the fog. Other people were doing like shady stuff and evil stuff in the fog. Uh, but it was the kind of fog that could cloud, a shroud anyone from 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 knowing about it. Like anyone could get away with anything. People were dying. No one even saw it. No one knew about it. Just this dense fog. And I thought, I sh- I'm I'm going to try and imagine like a drone going up, right? And I, I try like going up, the fog goes up to the sky. You can't see through this thing. Um, and it just seems like this absolute wickedness taking place, um, in this fog. Then like all of a sudden the fog lifts, everything's exposed. Uh, you see people getting mauled by lions. You see, see people doing like shady deals. You see people like stabbing each other. You see people like taking advantage of the broken, the oppressed, the weak. You see it all. It just, it just lifted all at once. Um, out of nowhere. And uh, for some reason, this mind movie <laughs> really shocked me. And so usually when that happens, I'll at least pray and go, Lord, if this is from you, like make it clear. So I kind of like half-heartedly threw that up and just thought I'd fall asleep. And as I'm saying, Lord, please like give me discernment and understanding if this is from you, as I'm ending that prayer, I hear a voice like, in my mind, it was the kind of voice that like goes beyond Morgan Freeman goes beyond like the sexiest narrative voice you've ever heard. It was like a terrifying voice. And there he, I believe it was the Lord. He said, I am displeased. I am displeased. So I said, shoot, like I honestly thought this was just my mind playing tricks. I prayed. And I heard, it. It was as soon as I heard that voice, it was like an echoey voice that caused me to tremble. And you know, when you're convicted by the spirit of God, um, sometimes you can feel like a physical manifestation in your chest and in your body of that conviction. There was like the fear of God and a trembling that came over me. Not that I was in danger, not that I was like gonna be condemned. It was like for, the people God was saying that about and this fear of God just gripped me. And I couldn't even like, I didn't even know, even know what to do, man. I just kept praying, prayed for understanding, um, shared this with a few brothers, shared this with my wife, um, send this to a, a couple trusted prophetic voices in my life. And, um, so far there's no clarity, uh, at least perfectly on what's happening. But, Either way, um, that I am displeased. I wasn't there with Israel standing at the base of Mount Sinai, watching God descend in fire and cloud and, and, and darkness and, and lightnings and thunder. I don't, I wasn't there. But if you read the account, it says that Israel was terrified. And Moses actually said, I, I shake with fear. There was a trembling, a holy reverence, a shaking to the core of your being. That isn't like the fear of this world, but it was the the voice that I'm displeased. And, um, I, beyond that, I just got the sense that God, we ultimately know, okay, that on judgment day, God is going to disclose everything. Everything's going to be open, bare. No one's going to escape. Everyone's going to stand bare and naked completely before God on judgment day. Everything they've done, everything they've said will be disclosed and exposed. No one is hiding. Jesus says that everything that's hidden in secrecy will be revealed. Everything that is not yet uh, seen or heard will ultimately be seen and heard, okay? So I know that, okay? And this could be speaking of Judgment Day. This could just be uh, God reminding me, like, uh, the way the culture is is not the way it's always going to be. The way the world is is not the way it's always going to be. The way uh, darkness seems to be prevailing and penetrating, even the, the church, it's not going to be like that. Initially, I got the sense that this was about the world, right? After talking with a few brothers and, and praying some more, you know, I, I started to kind of move away from that because the, the sense that I got when I heard that voice was it was about the church, And I kind of like pushed that away because I was like, no, like we know that God is pleased with his people because we are in Christ, right? He's not pleased with us based on our ability to obey or not. He doesn't love me based on my ability to perform or obey, you know, so my obedience doesn't determine the love or the acceptance God has for me, right? So I'm in Christ. So this can't be about the church. So there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He's pleased with his people because they're covered in the righteousness and the holiness of his son, right? So God is pleased with his people. That's why he comes to do what he does and saves us. So I kind of pushed that away. After a few days, I thought, no, I, I can't escape the fact that I, and this could just be me, I have a sense that this is more about the church, not, at our, not as people like standing in the side of God where God's looking at me going, I don't like you anymore, but the way the church is functioning, the way the church is operating, and the only reason I share this is because it's so appropriate to what we're talking about. God bringing light into the darkness. God exposing what's in the darkness. God shining his light into the spiritual darkness of this world. And so the reason I share this is because this is so strongly related to this topic that we're going through in scripture. That I, this was on my heart. So uh, maybe if you guys can pray. I just have a sense that God is going to uncover some crap. And it's going to be a great disclosing um, big exposure what's in the fog won't stay in the fog it's going to lift everyone's going to see what's been happening i don't know what that means i don't know to how far i can take that i dare not add more than i'm comfortable adding but i do know what god showed me i do know what he said he's very displeased with the way i believe the church as a whole globally is functioning and operating in secrecy in secret sin in self-preserving tendencies, in love for money, in love of self, in uh, suppression of the truth, compromising the values of God, stomping on the people, oppressing the people, standing above the people. The shepherds aren't feeding the people, they're feeding off the people. So I believe there is a strong displeasure with the way the church is functioning as a whole. Um, And I, to be honest, if you have any, you know, if God brings anything to mind for you guys, I I welcome... (laughs) Anything, not that I'm not going to test it. I'm going to discern and I'm going to pray. Anything you say, I'm going to recommend and I'm going to. Or I'm going to discern through it and pray and and go. Lord, is what she said like part of this? But so far, I I know that God is exposing the problem for me. Becomes God, why would you show me something I already know? Like if this is just about Judgment Day, why remind me of something I already know? Because there's God never speaks without purpose. There's always a purpose, an application, instruction within the actual uh, word God brings. So that God speaks for a purpose, and that purpose has yet been dis- disclosed to me. I don't know. What am I supposed to do? Is this a personal word? Is this a collective word for just me and the online church you've entrusted to us? Is this a word for my family? Is this the word for the church at large? I'm more confident and more comfortable saying that this is about the global church. Because of that, I don't know what God is going to do. I don't know how long it's gonna take. I don't know what it's gonna look like, but I do believe the fog's gonna lift. I do believe there's gonna be a big old grand exposure. I do believe what's hidden and secret right now is gonna come to the light. And you can think government, you can think Illuminati, you can think the, the world leaders, you can think all the different things we could fill in the blank. I am not saying it's not about those things. I just think this is mainly about the church, the people of God, the body of Christ, Not functioning the way we're supposed to. Not prioritizing the things we're supposed to. Not pursuing the things we're called to. Suppressing the truth. Minimizing the beauty of the gospel and the power of grace. Whatever it is. Tolerating sin. Enabling sin. Whatever it is. Okay? So if you guys want to um, kind of speak into what I've shared. If you're like, God is speaking to you, man. Pray about it before you just send it straight to me in an email, trying to get my attention, pray about it. Okay. I don't want to hear anything you haven't first prayed about. And then you can email me or message me on Instagram. Okay. You can go to abovereproachministry.com. That's where you can find everything about this ministry, abovereproachministry.com. Okay. Right here. Bada-bing, bada-boom. Link is in the YouTube description. Uh, We have a ton of free stuff. You can get free devotional studies, free online Bible study courses, uh, free Bible study worksheets, Bible study workshops, our online church, completely free. Obviously, we meet every day to pray and gather and fellowship. I'm not in there every day, okay, but I'm in there when I can be. Um, If you'd like to give to this ministry, we're teaching people how to read the Bible so they can live and teach the Bible themselves, okay? So that's, that's what we're trying to do is move people towards Jesus, not to say we're doing it but God is doing it through us. If you want to partner with us, um, you can go to our donate page. You can send a check um, for those that are more comfortable sending and mailing a check. You can donate through debit or credit card. You can give through PayPal, Cash App, or Venmo. This whole time it hasn't been on the screen. I apologize. Um, You can go ahead and get some church merch, be a monthly supporter on Patreon. All of this goes right into creating all this content completely free to everyone around the world. So all the resources, we're just resourcing the church, building people up, training people. I have a wife and two kids to care for. This is my full-time job. Um, so you can understand that God is supporting us through this, that which we're crowdfunded. Ultimately, this just relies on the people who are benefiting from this. But beyond that, um, if you want to get in contact with me, just go to my contact page right here. Boom. Uh, you can fill out this form. You can email me directly at contact at abovereproachministry.com. You can message me on Instagram. And again, I'm going to give you one more time to hear this. Don't send me understanding of the vision or interpretation of the vision that you haven't prayed for. Pray for it first, Um, please. So I'm trying to think if there's anything else about the actual vision. Oh, and weirdly enough, uh, here in Florida, we have not had fog in months. Months. The morning after that vision, in the middle of the night, I wake up and there's this dense, heavy fog outside. And we actually go—I take my funny, my my family out, and we um. And we go walk through the neighborhood in the fog, but I was reminded. I went, "Oh my gosh!" Like I remember last night, God giving me a vision, and I believe it's a vision. I believe He spoke. I believe He confirmed it. Um, and out of all the days. It's been months. It's probably since before the summer, since we've seen fog. That day, that morning, God, I feel like God was really reminding me. And then I called my buddy. He's like, "I just saw this fog earlier too." And I was like, "Really?" Like, it was, for some reason, I just felt like I was supposed to focus on it. I was, all, I was overlooking the canyon and praying, and God was just bringing that fog to my attention. Then I talked to another guy. Same thing. And I thought, I don't know what's happening, Lord, but just give me instruction. Tell me what to do, please. Please tell me what to do. So for those of you that are in the fog or you're trying to call people out of the fog, just know that God is going to expose. It's gonna be a big old revealing and uncovering of what's happening. So again, I dare not put things in God's mouth and add words to what he said. He's just shown me what he's done and I trust it will clarify, maybe through his people. So message me if you have anything. And um, I love you guys. Keep moving towards Jesus. If you need anything, reach out to me. through email, uh, message me on Instagram. And I think that is it for today. You guys keep moving towards Jesus and, uh, talk to you soon.